pray. Holy God and gracious God, let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock, my redeemer, my strength. Amen. For those of you who are just joining us today, we've been doing a series in the Psalms. And in the short time that we've been in the Psalms, we've covered a lot of ground. We have covered God's wisdom, His sovereign rule, His care for us as a shepherd. We've also seen that the Psalms can be very raw, very personal. In Psalm 51, which just a couple weeks ago, we saw David crying out in remorse and repentance of his sin and receiving the forgiveness of God. And then last week we saw what it means to cry out to God in anguish and anger at the evil that is going on in this world today. And yet one of the most pervasive themes throughout all the Psalms is praise. It is praise of God no matter the circumstances. So today we are going to be ending our series in the Psalms and we are going to end with praise. Psalm 103, actually that says 130, it should be 103, okay. 103, bless the Lord, O my soul. So we're going to learn what it is to lift up our voices to the Lord and say, bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's begin. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now, in the past, we've talked about that God blesses us. And when God blesses us, he shows us his favor. But when we say, bless the Lord... It's not about us giving favor to God because God does not need our favor. Rather, it is this, to say bless the Lord is an expression of gratitude, of delight of who He is and what He has done. There's this gratitude that comes from knowing who God is and what He has done for us. And if there's no gratitude, by the way, There actually isn't praise. There's no true praise, if nothing else. Let's put it that way. No gratitude, no true praise. But the gratitude that we have isn't simply an an empty, thoughtless gratitude. It It comes from thinking about, from considering, from pondering, if you will, what the Lord has done for us. So, thought. True praise isn't empty or thoughtless emotions. It's an understanding of who God is, what He's done for us. I would encourage you to read Mary's Magnificat, the reading from the Gospel of Luke. She lists a lot of reasons. She starts off with, The Lord, uh, my soul magnifies the Lord. But she has all of the reasons behind of why she starts off that way. You know, maybe a better and easier way for us to think about this is with the song, How Great Thou Art. It's one of my favorite songs. How Great Thou Art. 
it starts this way. O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the works thy hand hath made. So the writer is saying right here, I've stopped. I really have considered all of the wonderful things that God has done. And then he gives some of the reasons. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then filled with that, what's it? what does it say? Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Right? You're, you're singing that in your heads with me, aren't you? We'll be singing that later on today, by the way. Right? Because your, your soul just wants to lift up and sing, and you repeat, how great thou art, how great thou art. Because those are the words that try to encompass how much your soul blesses the Lord, that delights in the Lord. So if you want to think of Psalm 103, it starts with a chorus, if you will. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. To say all that is within me means my heart, my soul, my mind, my emotions, my body, my entire self is delighted in the Lord. Let me give you an example of how this comes to wonderful fruition. Revelations, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, all the tribes and peoples and languages, stand before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in hand, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. There's the reason right there. The wonderful work that God has done in salvation. And it says this, And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless the Lord, O my soul, who forgives me, who forgives all your iniquities. Notice that the first reason that David gives for saying, bless the Lord, O my soul, is that God forgives, that in Him there is forgiveness. Now, when most people think about praising God, I bet forgiveness does not reach to the top. I bet it is about the circumstances that you are in, or the wealth, or the health, or something else. But David notes that the greatest of all is forgiveness of sin. Go back a couple weeks, Psalm 51. Remember, he had the affair with Bathsheba. He had Bathsheba's husband killed. Nathan the prophet points out, and he's struck with remorse. And he knows that it is to God and God alone that he has sinned. And he comes before the Lord and asks to be washed clean. 
Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And David knows that God's grace, mercy, and compassion is greater than his sin. And because God's love, grace, mercy, and compassion is greater than his sin, there is forgiveness. You see, how you and I forgive and how God forgives isn't in the same ballpark. I would say it would be very few people and very few instances in those people who have forgiven someone completely. Completely. I bet, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I bet some of you still remember the wrongs that happened to you in elementary, junior high, or high school. Right? And there's like a score. I mean, you've seen all the movies, right? Where they get back together years later, and then there's a fight because you got to even the score. And we keep score, don't we? And we want to get even. Some way, somehow, there's a little part in most of us that wants some sort of revenge. Again, just take a look at the movies, and you'll notice how revenge is a common theme throughout, especially in our day and age. And so, we don't forgive completely. Rarely do we do that. But God does. God forgives completely says this, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love for those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. Okay, so here's the question. How far is the east from the west? It's never, right? It's eternal. It's always, always separated. And thus, that's the crux of it. We don't have that. God does. God does that. In His steadfast love, there is eternal forgiveness. And I don't know about you, but that boggles my mind. Eternal forgiveness And I don't know about you, but I don't grasp that very well. I always want to see if I can make it up somehow. If I can always, you know, tip the scale just a little bit in my favor or make up for all of the things. But by faith in Christ Jesus, we are forgiven eternally. God's not keeping score. In Christ Jesus... The price has been paid. The slate has been wiped clean. You see, in Jesus Christ, in faith, forgiveness of sin, those are central to who we are as followers of Jesus. And if you take away any one of those, you take away really any reason for gratitude, for thanksgiving, or for praise. But because the Father loves us so much. And we covered that in Life in the Spirit about how we are adopted and we can cry, Abba, Father. 
David writes this, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. In Christ Jesus, you have the compassion, the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness of God the Father. Forever. Eternal. Bless the Lord, O my soul. For in Christ Jesus, I am forgiven eternally. Bless the Lord, O my soul, who redeems me from the pit, who redeems me from death. You know, I think that one of the things that keeps people from truly praising God is that uncertainty of what happens when you die. Here's a question for you to ponder. How certain are you of what will happen to you after you die? For most people, by the way, it's a, I do my best and hope God does the rest sort of thing. Right? Do my best, hope God does the rest. That's as certain as I can be. And so how can you praise God with that uncertainty? But for David, he was certain. He knew that God had redeemed the Israelites from slavery out of Egypt, and he would not forget the men, the women that he called out, that he chose. He would not let them rot in the grave even though God knows exactly what we are. We think we're so high and mighty, but here's what we are. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it's gone, and and its place knows it no more. We are but dust, right? And we say that every Ash Wednesday, from dust you came and to dust you shall return. This is found in Isaiah, and actually Peter quotes Isaiah in his first letter. All flesh is like grass, and its glory like flowers of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls. Our bodies perish, (laughs) and everybody in here knows that, right? As we get older and older, right, the bloom is off the petal, they, uh, the flowers, they say, or something like that. You know, and our bodies aren't working the way it should be. And yet people rail at this. There are some people who want to somehow cheat death. We talked about last week about making a name for themselves. And so they want to make a name for themselves so that they'll somehow live on after death. Like Julius Caesar. Now, if I said Caesar to almost any millennial, I bet they would say salad dressing. That's how wonderful Caesar is. Or Genghis Khan, by the way, who is actually greater than Caesar and greater than Alexander the Great. Genghis Khan is like, okay, I may have seen a movie with John Wayne who played him. but Right? That's a really obscure reference, by the way. But, but that's it, right? And we know nothing else about these people. So it's all vanity, all of this trying, striving after the wind to try to somehow live on. But as you and I know, we do have the promise 
of eternal life. See, I'm going to read to you what Peter wrote a little more fully because we want to find the context in which he quotes Isaiah. He says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the word, and this, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. What is the word, the good news that was preached to you? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you are born again, when you have faith in Christ Jesus, you have a promise that is imperishable, that you will be with him forever, that death no longer has any sting. And this is also why Paul could write this, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Look, death is swallowed up in victory. It is destroyed. It is no more. And we thus praise God for Christ Jesus. We praise Him for He, Jesus, is the Word. And we have a sure and eternal Word and promise in Christ Jesus. And we can say, Bless the Lord, O my soul, who has redeemed me from death. Bless the Lord, O my soul, who crowns me with His love, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Okay, before I get to the next part on the slide there. Just as there is eternal forgiveness, there is eternal love. And as hard as I have wrapping them around my mind around eternal forgiveness, I also have difficulty wrapping my mind around eternal love. Now, I've told some of you, I don't think most of you, no, uh, when I proposed to Heidi, 30 years old, proposed, um, she said yes, and um, actually a little longer story, hi Heidi, she's at home this morning, but, um, but I was 30 years old, right, and these vows are forever, right, for your entire life. And my 30-year-old mind had trouble wrapping around that I would be married until I die. So I thought, okay, I could do 50 years. That would make me 80. And if I got to 80 and we were still married, I could probably up for another 20. Right? It was like a math problem. Uh, And so it's been 32 years now since I proposed, and now I think, that 50 years would be way too short. And our love for each other has grown over that time. It has matured in a way that is wonderful and surprising. So there's that love, right, that we know about. You know, at the same time, 
this love that God has for us, I want you to consider this. God's love for you doesn't grow. His love for you doesn't grow. His steadfast love for you is full and complete the moment you have been born again and have faith in Christ Jesus. He couldn't love you more. Now, our love for him grows, right? We grow and mature, but God's love does not need to grow and mature. It is perfect, full, and complete. Psalm 118 says this, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Steadfast love. It is repeated again and again, just like bless the Lord, O my soul, is repeated again and again. In God, we have a steadfast, eternal love. Love, it says, from everlasting to everlasting. This is why David could write Psalm 23. For surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Steadfast love has a rich meaning. It is about compassion. It is about loving kindness mercy, grace, faithfulness. It speaks about the relationship that God has for us, that he is faithful and loyal even when we aren't. And we enter into his complete, full love when we enter into his covenant. You enter into his steadfast love and mercy through his covenant. Now, in the Old Testament... Entering into his covenant was through the Ten Commandments, right? So you entered in through the law, and evidence that you were part of this covenant, there's a couple things, but one of the evidence is that you kept his commandments. Now we know they failed and we failed, but there was a living faith of those who at least tried. This is where uh, verse 17 and 18 come in. But the steadfast of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteous righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Part of the evidence that you are following God is that you keep his word, that you follow his word. Now, with the law, it's impossible, right? to perfectly keep, to perfectly follow his word, which is why Jesus came. And through his death and his resurrection, and by faith in him, we enter into that new covenant. Everlasting, steadfast love. And part of the evidence of you having entered into that covenant is living faith. It says, I will follow Jesus. I love him, so I'll keep his commandments. Not that I earn points, right? Not that I somehow settle the score a little bit. 
because you can't, but because you love him. It's actually literally that simple. You love Christ Jesus, and because you love him, you want to keep his commandments. This is part of a covenantal relationship. So we say, bless the Lord, O my soul, for his steadfast love and mercy. Bless the Lord, O my soul, who satisfies and renews, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So, life is often hard. Ta-da! A walk of faith is often hard. And we can get wearied and tired in both. Just go back last week, Psalm 79. How long, O Lord, how long? And we raise up that cry for our our bodies, right? The relationships that we have. Things of that nature. We, we also get wearied standing for the faith when others don't. We get weary of proclaiming the gospel when it's rejected again and again. And so there are times in our life God truly intervenes and sends people your way. And God has intervened in my life many, many times when I'm ready to stop, when I'm ready to throw in the towel, when I have lost patience. There's God intervening. And then I have to stop and say, thank you, God, for intervening. Thank you, God, for lifting me up when I didn't feel truly lifted up. David knew this. I know this. You know this. So David had these times, and he uh, wrote about them, being renewed like an eagle's wings. And perhaps the best reference from that is Isaiah chapter 40. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength, They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall not run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint and not faint. That's the promise that God will lift us above the fray. And even when things in this world don't seem to be going well, we know that he is working his righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed because The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. You see, God never tires, never sleep, is always ruling over all things. That's a reference, by the way, Psalm 121. He never sleeps. He is always ruling. He is in heaven. Remember last week, in the midst of everything, people say, where is God? And the answer is, on his throne, doing as he pleases. And what does he please? He pleases to work righteousness and justice. Not ours, but his. And when I forget that he is working his righteousness and justice and that I try to do it for him, I get pretty tired. I get a little worn out. And so sometimes he has to remind me 
And sometimes it's a little bit of a discipline thing, too, to remind me that it is he who is on the throne, not me. And so when I pause and take a look at his justice and his righteousness, his holiness, his grace, and his mercy, I'm renewed. And I can say, bless the Lord, O my soul, who satisfies and renews me. And when you meditate on these things, to meditate, to ponder, to take a look and consider all the works that God has done, is doing, and will do, you sing His praise. Just like all of creation should sing His praise. Bless the Lord, O you, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word. Obeying the voice of his word, bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. So for you this week, I want you to meditate, which we've talked about during this series. Stop, ponder, consider what the Lord has done for you. How you are forgiven. How you are redeemed. Crowned in eternal love. How he reigns and is working all things to his good. And then once you consider all of this, lift up your voice in praise and say, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Amen.